0: Recorded live.
1: Scuba Obsessed, a weekly podcast. We talk about all things scuba diving, from cool new gear to places to dive and scuba new news. Scuba Obsessed, episode. 335 is recorded live July 20th, 2017. Welcome back to Scoop Obsessed. I'm Darren Gilson coming to you from the southwest side of the great state of Michigan. Joining me this week, we have Mac, the dive mentor. How are you doing today, Mac?
0: I'm doing very well. Thank you. Glad to be here.
1: And we are in that beautiful summertime weather. Sometimes you almost think that you can dive without actually getting in the water.
0: A well, was it? we bit humid today, wasn't it? A little sticky. A
1: little, little bit of humidity. I could tell when I got home, I, my wife was giving me that look like, why don't we have air conditioning?
0: <laughs> I mean, you don't have air conditioning?
1: Nah, it died a couple years ago, and I keep yeah but i I need to replace it, but I gotta replace the furnace, so you got the furnace and the air conditioner, and it just hasn't worked out into the plans yet, so you know if I figure if we just stopped eating and breathing and doing other things, we would have all the money in the world and we could do it.
0: I do buy lottery tickets just on the off chat <laughs>
1: i I don't even do that. The only time I buy a lottery ticket is when I see the whole group at work buying. Because I don't want to be the only one still working there if they win. It's more of a hedge my bet.
0: <laughs> right. Well, they said, well, your, your chances of getting hit by lightning is seven times greater than, than winning the lottery. So I only I need, to,
1: know, I only need uh, to get hit by lightning six more times and I win?
0: I don't know if you even got hit by lightning once, but <laughs> I mentioned that because I was at the airport today. And uh, they had just finished repairing 32 different light systems out there. They got hit by the, the grounds. Got hit five mm-hmm. times within twenty minutes. They're sitting. They're sitting in the window watching it go. Wham, wham, wham. I said that's a little scary. So you don't want to be the tallest object walking around the airport. <laughs>
1: no, I, I've never been hit directly by lightning. But uh, it was probably about three years ago. I was. I had just gotten out of the shower, and I went to the sink and I was washing my hands. And it hit, you know, within a hundred yards outside and it got me through the, uh, the water and the sink. And I wasn't, my hands weren't even under the water. I had already backed away from the water and it arced a good three or four inches.
0: You're freaking lucky.
1: Yes. So yeah, that was a reminder because I, I was always really good about, you know, if, it, if it's even a chance of a storm, not getting in a shower or anything and, uh. I I could hear the rumbling when I was in the shower and I got out. But it's the first time I've had it come right through the sink. But, yeah, that was a little poke.
0: I can imagine. We were, when we went to Grand Canyon a couple of years ago, one of the guides there was an older gentleman. Uh, When it starts to look like it's going to be bad weather, he goes indoors and stays in the basement. He has been hit by lightning seven times. (laughs) I, I would not be around him on a tour, for nothing.
1: Yeah, I I, I belonged to a group uh, in the early days of computer clubs, and he had been shot three and hit, shot by a a gun three times and hit by lightning twice. And I'm like, I don't know if I want to do anything with you.
0: I don't think I'd hang around that guy.
1: And and he would tell you the stories and like the, like they were completely unrelated. You know, it was like uh, he was in a. Uh, he was checking out of a grocery store once and one of the lanes down on the other end was getting robbed and the guy discharged a gun at ricocheted off the conveyor and it hit him in the side. And then he had I well, can't I can't remember what the other two stories were, but they were completely different. I'm like, you just have bad luck written all over you.
0: Like he said, if you didn't have bad luck you wouldn't have any luck at all.
1: Yeah. Nice guy, but man. Okay, well, I'd like to thank everybody who's in the chat room. We have S. Nelson's in there. We have Dave Toneman's in there. I had a couple guests pop on in. It's always nice in the chat room, and we are working on getting that going now that I keep thinking this. Someday, we'll we'll get the other chat room going. I've been doing some playing, but we're probably still a couple weeks off at least. Uh, Let's go ahead and jump right on into the news. The first article we have up is, um, is a press release, and I meant to cover this last time, but you reminded me, Mac, by sending me an email that Sunto has a recall. Sunto tank transmitters and tank pod failures. They're on a recall because at least two of these have burst when being tested by Sunto. Sunto's Red Crawford tells uh, Undercurrent, which is a magazine, that they're recalling all they have manufactured. If you're a user, you should stop using and get it upgraded. Replaced by Sunto, an authorized service center. The affected models are SS019098000, SS005397000 tank transmitters, and SS020306000 tank pods. These are the part, not the serial numbers. Sunto ex- extend upgraded transmitter warranties by a year after registering them with www.mysunto.com for details and how to proceed go to the website www.sunto.com forward slash recall now what are the pods the, so the, the tank transmitter is that's what the little sending unit that they have on the, the tank you just uh, put it into one of the ports
0: I do believe that's correct so it's a transmitter
1: I'm not sure what the pods are
0: not sure, unless they're the, the pressure receptacle itself. Yeah. Since I don't have one, I'm not real sure. I'm
1: sure somebody in chat room will know here pretty good. Well, we're going uh, going on. We have a scuba scare, a, a diver f- looking for golf balls, encounters a gator that bit his arm. Uh, a diver... W- Recovering golf balls was attacked by an alligator that bit his arm in a Florida course last week. Scott uh, Lodick was attacked by the gator as he was underwater at the Rotunda Golf and Country Club Palm Course in Charlotte County. Onlookers called 911 after he emerged from the pond on the way down to the bone. One caller said the wound on his arm, despite the ordeal, is expected to recover. They said uh, diving for golf balls is a common practice in a 200 million dollar industry. The recovered golf balls are sold for a profit, however there's always a risk of a deadly encounter this time by a hug, uh, hungry gator. They said the gator was euthanized according to Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation protocol.
0: That's one advantage to doing this up here in Michigan is there ain't no gators.
1: There ain't no gators.
0: Nope. Right. And I'm sure the picture of the gator walking across the lawn is not the one that bit his arm, because if it was, he wouldn't have an arm.
1: Right. That, that, was a, that one's a little bit bigger.
0: We are so freaking lucky. I mean, if we had half the animals they have down there in Carolina and Georgia and South and Florida, we would not be diving the river like we do.
1: Dave in the chat room is saying that uh, Sunto Air Integration Transmitter is called Tank Pod by Sunto. So it must be the same thing. So tank transmitter and tank pods are just two ways of saying the same thing. Thank you, Dave. And then we have a scuba diver who is cleaning up after the Lake Tahoe's post fireworks. He's been doing that for over 30 years. He does it following the 4th of July festivities down on the lake surface, cleaning up the mess. Neil Melton has been hired to clean up underwater after fireworks displays the South Shore, dating back to when Harris put on the event, the Lake Tahoe's Visitor's Authority, and now Tahoe's Douglas Visitor's Authority. First time I cleaned up the fireworks, we had 28 dives on the location, said Melton, who estimates each dive lasts for roughly an hour. When I first started, I had people helping me do it, but now I get to basically do it as an art. This year took Melton just eight dives in the water near Edgewood Tahoe. In addition to debris from the fireworks, which are set off from barges of the lake, Milton says the number one thing he finds is beer bottles. Unlike the beaches where pieces of plastic and cigarette butts are on the top, types of litter cleaned up by volunteers, Milton says he has rarely seen any plastic underwater. The most unique thing I've seen underwater is a boat life jacket. melton has been diving since he's 18 years old, lived near Laguna Beach, inspired by the movie Sea Hunt. And explorer Jacques Cousteau, he spent his youth hanging around the dive shops, waiting till he's old enough to take his first plunge. After that, he was hooked. To date, Melton dived in Florida, Fiji, Mexico, Bonaire, ABC Islands near Venezuela and Honduras. In 1976, he moved to Lake Tahoe and started diving right away. Cave Rock is my first home. Water temperature is about 42 degrees, just freezing. He became fascinated with how the lake was formed. Crusting plate shifting, volcanic action, and glacier water glacial action he explained i can dive by dl bass state park and there's a granite wall going down a thousand feet the sunlight has all those streams coming down on it you can see mackinac rainbow and mysis shrimp it's just spectacular he spent 21 years as a dive instructor in the south shore during that time he dove down the dows cold waters anywhere from 300 to 400 times every time you go underneath it's a different experience basically there's no sound besides your bubbles it's almost hypnotic in a way. You can go underneath the water. You might as well be a little stressed out, but when you come back up, you're a different person. Though Melton doesn't dive nearly as much as he used to, he can't picture stopping anytime soon. It's like it from the beginning. I still like it now. You can talk to any diver, and they'll say it's one of the best things to do.
0: I'm very surprised he doesn't find a lot more plastic.
1: I am too. Does that just mean that it's not being thrown in or it's going someplace else? Because we certainly... When I first started diving, I want to say the first couple years I didn't see any, but the last 10 or so years I see it all the time.
0: There was an article, I'm trying to remember where I saw it, said if you look at the amount of plastics and it gave some phenomenal like 9.1 trillion or maybe it was just billion pounds of plastic that's been generated since it's been popular, which would I think they said put the whole thing of Manhattan under two miles of plastic and then, then they went and talked about how much was um, actually burned which was like 12% gave out a, a factor of how much was actually recycled and uh, the majority in the 70% is in landfills Yeah, and the degradable aspect really isn't there But it sounds like in the future, when we run out of other stuff, we'll dig up the uh, landfills and recycle plastic or burn it. Very well could be. Oh, by the way, when he was diving there in Taco, he was diving 300 to 400 times a year. Oh, that's a year. That's a year, because he was an instructor doing classes and what have you. Wow, you're right. Yeah, right. Let's
1: say a year. That's a pretty hefty diving schedule.
0: Well, I think, like Dave, if you got a lot of classes, you're going to be doing a lot of dives. I'd like to know his technique, though, for recovering. And, again, it must be from one area. I don't know if you ever dove the uh, salt pier after the fireworks. No, I haven't. And, and in, there's certain areas that you will find the remnants of the mortars and things like that. So I can see what he's talking about, but I'm just curious how far offshore they are. Is there a drop-off? Does it have a, a pit that it goes down into? No, I shouldn't say pit, but a low line, so everything sort of migrates down in one area? Because if he's doing eight to 20 dives to clean it up, you know, I, it must be somewhat put together in, in a small area, relatively small area. Sounds like a full-time job, though. Well,
1: well, the the thing is the, the mortars, because what I'm assuming is you've got these tubes It's on a barge, and you're firing them up into the air. And they're trying to aim them so that they come down roughly where the barge is. But there's no guarantee. You know, the higher ones up and a little bit of wind, they're going to go everywhere. So the, knowing how tough it is to find things, I, I'm i kind of surprised he can, you know, even 20 dives find them all.
0: That's true. I mean, it's not unusual that if you go out there after 4th of July, anywhere around the lake, you will find the rockets. That's about the biggest thing we'll find as rockets, the big ones and maybe the baby ones, but uh, that's about it.
1: Well, if you're not finding fireworks, maybe you can find what this diver found, a hall of frame hall of fame ring, from American Hockey League star Dick Gamble. Treasure hunter found the American Hockey League Hall of Fame ring in one of New York's Finger Lakes. Gary Gravunek said he found the ring in oh. Goodness. Was it, uh, Canadian Lake? One of the Finger Lakes on the 4th of (laughs) July. (laughs) C A N A N D A I G U A. It's probably one of those things once you hear it, it's fine, but uh, I have no idea. He returned it. His plan is to return it to the 88 year old Gamble. The AHL said Thursday that Gamble ordered a replacement ring several years ago. And that his name is inscribed on both. Gamble starred in the Rochester Americans, retired early in the 1969-70 season. He was in, inducted in the American as the as an original member of the Americans Hall of Fame in 1986. Was enshrined to the AHL Hall of Fame in 2007. He played parts of eight NHL seasons with the Montreal Canadiens, Toronto Ma- Maple Leafs, and Chicago Blackhawks.
0: It's a um, it's. I like the more details, like where exactly did he find it? Was it, you know, how deep in the dirt or was it in the dirt? Was it in a beach area? I'd like to know, you know, where he found it and how the guy lost it. It's always nice to know the beginning, the middle, and the end. The end, obviously, is getting the ring back. Yeah. Yeah. I looked at
1: two or three articles and none of them said it. This one said the most. Uh, I just have – I'm guessing – Based on these dates, there had to have been sometime after the '80s.
0: Yeah, but you no, lost it. Yeah. That's half the story, you know. Can you imagine they'll find ring like that or a Super Bowl ring with all the oh, diamonds yeah. in it?
1: Yeah, man, that, that that's the what chip, you'd you, you'd return it, and then you'd probably get fifty bucks,
0: or maybe not, maybe get more, but you you're not going to keep it because it's no. obvious. No. And most of them, have, you know, you know who it belongs to. But that that would still be awesome to find it. Oh, certainly. And half the fun is returning it to the person to find out how they lost it. <laughs> well, you just got to find more of them. Yeah, yeah.
1: Scientists expect significant algae bloom on Lake Erie. A significant algae bloom is expected to form in western Lake Erie this summer though it probably won't be as large as some previous formations that posted health risks and hampered tourism. Scientists said Thursday, the National Oceanic, Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration and research partners released their annual algae forecast for the shallowest and warmest of the Great Lakes, where massive algae formations are a recurring threat to the environment and the economy. Toxic contamination from the 2014 bloom prompted a Two-day shutdown of tap water systems for 400,000 people in Toledo, Ohio, and southeastern Michigan. It'll be large, green, and ugly. and will cause the same kind of issues it has in the past for charter boats captains trying to get people out to fish, said Don Scava of University of Michigan Scientists. It's unlikely to create another drinking water crisis like the one three years ago. It resulted in a rare combination of factors including high-level toxins generated by the bloom in the location near Toledo's offshore Water intake facility. NOAA oceanographer Rick Strump said, monitoring has been stepped up since then and early detection devices installed. Still, the situation underscores the need to reduce the flow of nutrients into the lake that feed algae and similar bacteria, primarily from farms but also sewage treatment plants and other sources, Strump said. Researchers have developed a scale of rating for severity of the bloom on how much algae it contained over a sustained period. They predict this year's will register a score of 7.5, though it could range anywhere from 6 to 9.5. A rating above 5 indicates potentially harmful levels, meaning such blooms could damage, do damage by producing toxins or sucking enough oxygen from the water to have fish kills. When they developed the scale, researchers thought the maximum score would be a 10. The 2011 bloom reached that mark, and the 2015 exceeded it, registering a 10.5. As the biggest on record, it's worth noting the bloom size doesn't necessarily reflect its toxicity. The 2016 bloom rated a th- mild 3.2, which extends ex- experts' credit largely to dry weather. Spring and summer rainfalls played a key role in bloom formation by washing fertilizer from croplands into streams and rivers that flow into the lake. Phosphors and chemical fertilizer and livestock manure promote algae growth. The weather has been significantly wetter this year, and a bloom size expected to reflect that. Recent algae formations in West Lake Erie have taken shape in late July and grown bigger in early August. A similar pattern is expected in coming months. A bloom of this size is evidence that research and outreach efforts currently underway to reduce nutrient loading, optimize water treatment, understand Bloom dynamics need to continue, said Christopher Winslow, Ph.D., director of Ohio Sea Grant College Program. But he added, despite its anticipated size, much of the lake will be algae-free throughout the bloom season, and the lake remains a key asset. Michigan, Ohio, and Canadian provinces of Ontario have agreed to cut phosphorus going into the lake by 40% over the next decade.
0: I remember the one in 2013, and they actually had several kill zones during that period of time it's one of those items we have known it's the phosphorus and a lot of nitrogen from various sources which can be controlled and a lot that aren't controlled you would think we would be doing a much better job knowing the damage it does to the environment and to our water systems
1: certainly we, we do need to address these types of issues Michigan has uh, started pushing that down into the local jurisdictions that there needs to be programs like that. Some of these uh, extension centers in the state have been working with farmers to change it. Uh, Part of it is that a lot of these, a lot of farms have creeks that just wander through it. And, you know, like they say, as storm sewers, you know, all drains lead, lead to the ocean. We've got the same thing here in the Great Lakes. You know, anything that goes into the drain or into the uh, waste treatment facilities. goes into the rivers and the lakes, and it's sad to say, but uh, none of our waste treatment facilities, I think, are really up to the task.
0: I thought the sewage treatment plants did a real good job on that, though, because they generally do not. They, you know, they have release standards, and if it were a matter of monitoring it there, then they tighten the standards and it costs more to treat it. So I thought the problem there was the overflow which yeah, you it's, have it's, due it's to your, heavy-duty rains
1: yeah it's your storm sewers uh they've required that the storm sewers and the uh the septic waste systems be separated but there's still a lot of jurisdictions that haven't taken that step and some of them are at the points where they're uh getting their they either need to address it immediately or get fined
0: well that's that's another little case um, i I'll use something like Benton Harbor, for example. Their their piping systems and water right. systems are in terrible need of repair. They have no money, right. so who are you going to find? Oh, certainly. At, that's that's what whenever you
1: when you find a jurisdiction, it's like where does that money come from? Especially when you have these jurisdictions that are already getting state aid just to keep the lights on.
0: Uh, and, and the other aspect, though, that we're missing, though is we hit watershed land. You know, basically, if you had big watersheds, it gives the time for the other waters to go through, get absorbed, drain through the aquifers, you know, and eventually come out good water someplace. We keep building and taking away our wetlands, and we are a big part of the problem.
1: Well, that's why you're seeing uh, any new construction that's going on, they have a formula where they calculate the amount of parking lot you have and the, the amount of roof, and then you have to have uh, catch basins uh, that will slow down some of this runoff. Uh, you know, here here in the Midwest, specifically Michigan, you see a lot of uh, you know county drain commissioners' in position. And for years and years, what that meant is making as big a drains and ditches as you can, so that any rain instantly. Uh, leaves the farmlands and goes out into the river and uh, doesn't flood uh, it yep so what has got to happen is that if you're still going to try and maintain the protection for the farmers where you're trying to help them keep their fields uh dry and uh, able to hold a crop is you have to have some way of managing this water that slows it down because it doesn't have any time to settle your swamps uh most cases filled that role. Yeah, you know, it would percolate and filter and sift and you know, by the time it got to the river it wasn't too bad.
0: Well again, the big problem though is population explosion. Look how far and how big populous we've become over the last fifty years. And all the building we're doing and just housing, new businesses. Again, we're taking up the land and the wetlands. So the only way we're really going to do the aspect about not overfishing the seas, not over planting our crops, is to minimize population. It's one of those things nobody wants to talk about, but that's what you're going to have to do. At some point. Yep. Well, we're past that point. but well, What's the population of the world going to be in uh, 20 years? Well, we're already, what, almost 7 let billion.
1: billion? Uh, let's, let's pull that up.
0: We've got the technology. <laughs> is that part of that high-speed Internet everybody needs to have?
1: Yeah. As soon as they get the hamsters on a treadmill, we're, we're finding out. So it says right now the world's population, and it was bigger than what I thought it was, is 7.5 billion people. April 2017. It said it will increase to 11.2 billion by the year 2100.
0: Now, what percent is that of total world population increase?
1: Oh, let's see.
0: Well, if it's 7.5 now and it's going to be, you said how much? 11.2, 20?
1: so that's with about
0: 30%. That's probably
1: 40%. Yeah, so, you gotta... so how
0: can you keep having increases like that and then not say, well, I don't have enough to eat. I'm fishing the oceans too much. It's like and water. We've been contaminating our water supplies like crazy. It's getting more scarce. Water table's going down. So uh, where is it going to end? You've heard that, you know, eating ourselves out of house and home? Well. Uh, make that the planet.
1: Yeah, these are not some pretty charts here. Oh. I'm
0: not sure how we got sidetracked so quick.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, take a look at the lakes that are filling up. Um, Paul Paw Lake, one of my favorite dive hangouts. It's basically a watershed lake, meaning it's the end products of a 15-mile drain from culvert. And one of their major problems now is silt and a huge phosphorus and nitrogen loading, plus the silt layer in certain areas is 20 feet thick. So basically that lake is, and it's not spring-fed, does not have that. It's a, a what they call a watershed lake. So how many years will it take for that to atrophy, fill up, and be absolutely worthless? It could be interesting. Yeah. And you know that big uh, cattle farm they have out there, out towards Hartford? They found out that the uh, remnants from the cows using the bathroom have already started polluting the wells in the area and everything downstream. Mm. Yeah, not not real good to like, now what do you do about that, guys? Well, supposedly when they put that in, they
1: significantly increase the amount of land you needed per animal just to try and prevent that. But they must not be – they must not have had the proper procedures in place to prevent that. That were the
0: ground a little more porous than they had anticipated. Well, that
1: that area up there is a lot of artesian wells, and it's kind of a little – mushier than probably what we have over here, which tends to be a lot of sand. Well, how about this? Well, enough
0: enough gloom and doom. Yeah.
1: How about this for a photo or video of the week? A scuba diver off the coast of South Africa captured video of a humpback whale jumping clear out of the water. Craig Capehart said he and three other divers were in the boat hunting sardines july 8th when the in hopes of capturing some footage of predators off the coast when he stopped taking a video of a playful humpback whale breaching nearby the video shows a humpback whale mother cow swimming with a calf it shows an adult 40 tons whale on its back slapping both its left and right fins in the water then leaping entirely out of the water it is a very rare event indeed It seems that never before has a recording been made of an adult humpback whale leaping entirely out of the water.
0: Wow. Well, the picture I'm looking at, that's that's freaking awesome. (laughs) I (laughs) just wonder what... I I went and looked at the video. I turned the audio off. But, I mean, he is totally out. I mean, nose to tail.
1: Yeah, he completely cleared it. Yeah. I mean, if you could slip a, a barge underneath him, he would land on it. I mean... That's not a – and he, and it's not like – sometimes you see these photos and maybe he's out, but, you know, the water came up with him. I mean, he is clear, out, dry, which tells me he had a little bit of height going on there.
0: Oh, yeah, he's Olympic caliber. That's I mean, that's a gold medal.
1: Yes. Yeah, we'll, we'll give him the score right here.
0: I was looking at the video here of the other ones. I mean, I've got a couple of eights, eight fives. That's not too bad. And if you if you count the splashes – Now, there's some awesome splashes here, but I'm waiting for the big guy to come up here. (laughs) If I knew how to do play-by-play, I'd do that.
1: (laughs) Yeah. You're just hoping that he doesn't decide he wants to do that on your boat.
0: Well, you don't want to be out there with your GoPro and your kayak. Yes. (laughs) I have seen some scary pictures of them taking pictures of the guys in kayaks. And behind him, you see the shadow of the shark that's about five times as big as your kayak. Oh, gosh. That is not the place I want to be in. I mean, I'm in my kayak, you see, and I'm flying my drone. And I'm looking at the pictures. And then behind me, I hear this, da-dum, da-dum, dum I make the drone go back there, and I see this 100-foot shark chasing me. Oh. That that could be interesting.
1: Well, you'd, you'd definitely be adding to the phosphorus in the water at that point.
0: That or some other commodity, yes. Well, that does
1: it for Scuba in the News. I'd like to thank WRVO Radio for putting us on the air another year. If you're interested in hunting, fishing, the great outdoors, you'll want to listen to them. Go to our website, www.scubaobsessed.com. Scroll down to the bottom in the footer, and we have links that will take you right to their site, and you can look and check out all the programs that they have going on. So I take it somebody got some diving in these last two weeks.
0: I know it wasn't me. A lot, of, a lot of people got diving in there. I mean, the Havana has been looked over pretty good. I think we have some guys out there doing that tonight. Of course, Kevin is eating my heart out. I'd like to be up there with him. But he's been up north, I mean way up north, up there by the Canadian line, looking for shipwrecks in the same vicinity as the Edmund Fitzgerald. He's been looking in the um, the shoal areas where the rocks come up and in a big storm. If you were in the old days, you know, you got just enough to cover you before the storm. Then your trough come up and your boat runs aground. Oh. So he was looking in some areas there to see if he could find some old wrecks. And uh, 32 miles offshore, we were watching the radar pictures for him for his weather. And uh, he had a real good day. And he had a good day today, too. He's posted some nice pictures on the club site. So you might want to take a look and see where he was at, what he was doing. And I'm sure he's going to give us a good description when he gets back. Uh, I know the guys have hit Lake 16, Lake Cora. Pawpaw Lake has been hit. Uh, Pawpaw does have a lot of weeds. It's almost warming up, Not almost. It is warm enough. You don't need a wetsuit. I did a shorty just on the top. No gloves. Um, and I wasn't going deep, no thermocline. Thermocline's around 15 feet. Um,
1: so so people s- have
0: been getting out there.
1: So you're saying I could get I could get wet without putting on a wetsuit?
0: Yes, you could. Yeah. Huh. If you stay that shallow, I was out there metal detecting, um, you won't have a problem. Uh, and we do have a, a call out for a job on the – seems like a gentleman lost his, his keys and was looking for somebody to dive for him. And uh, he was informed that where he lost them, the chance of finding them is like slim to none because you got those huge boulders right oh, there those and the cracks and crevices. So north side then? Yep, north pier. Yeah. So if, if, if it it's there, it's like he is very lucky. <laughs>
1: They're in where but, all uh, the other keys that have been lost there are at.
0: Yes. If somebody so, lifts up know.
1: one of those rocks at some point in time, there's going to be all sorts of uh, treasure to find.
0: Yeah, and, and when we're talking rocks, people we're talking boulders the size of Volkswagens. I, down there, they look bigger than
1: that. I would say they're bus sized in some cases, but <laughs> I think you're right. It's probably more Volkswagen size. Just this, the and, you,
0: and you've got them tumbled on top of each other's rip riprap, and you've got openings that you really, really do not want to go um, into.
1: Yes, because and, you
0: can and will get jammed, and that's a bad place to be. By And the visibility there is usually pretty poor.
1: I know a couple times when we've been out there when you've got waves surging a little bit, you want to give plenty of healthy respect and distance to those stones. You wouldn't want to get sucked into one of those.
0: And you want to stay away from the, towards the end, you have a reverse current that wants to take you out to sea. I'm sure. If you fight uh, against it. Yeah. (laughs) I'm going to say, if you fight against it, you're going to run out of air a lot quicker than if you go with the tide, come up, and then swim back in.
1: Yes. Yeah, there's usually a sailboat out where you'd probably s- surface. <laughs> yeah, and that's why you always do want
0: to have your flag with you, though.
1: Oh, certainly. Yeah, if you're doing anything there on the pier. Uh, so some good weather for it. What's,
0: what's the lake temperature been? Believe it or not, the lake temperature was in the 60, high 60s. Last week, all the way down to, uh, what was it? It was uh, I was looking at the buoy at uh, Cookland. And from the surface to 50 foot, it was like above 50 the whole time, which is great. Then it dropped down if you're down below that pretty quick. But, I mean, I was at the beach last week. People were swimming. I mean, older and younger, not the and. So uh, – and I haven't been in, but it looks like it's very – it was very doable last week.
1: Very nice. Boy, I'm just uh, – maybe I need a little bit of sleep. I feel like I could have just dozed off right there. That's that's, that's, <laughs> that's, that's, that's not – There
0: was a little – Pregnant pause there. I thought, okay, I'm waiting oh, for him to come back.
1: Yeah, it's, it's, uh, I'm looking at the show notes. Show notes end right there.
0: Oh. Well, that's the disadvantage if we use the uh, video so we can see each other. We can see when, if your mouth is moving, I should shut mine and vice versa. <laughs> that,
1: that is true. That's one of the things we've talked about doing video. It's, uh, when we were all at the same location we've done recordings before, that, it, it seemed like it's a little bit easier to have tight conversations and many times, when you're in the when you're listening to this recorded, you don't pick those up because I remove them. I've got software that takes those out. But
0: uh... it is easier when you're facing each other, and you can you know when your lips aren't moving, then I can talk and vice versa. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, and before the show, I don't know if we talked about much on, but just the internet's been so crazy lately. Uh, I think they got to break the internet before they fix it again. Uh, it's, yeah. like every, it's, it's we're recording about the prime Netflix time, I think, is what's going on. Yeah. Well, if you want to follow us, we're on uh, Facebook, www.facebook.com forward slash Scoob Our Twitter account is at Scoob Obsessed. If you have any feedback, you can leave it to us on our comments page, on our website, or you can send an email to the show at Scoob Um, now we had a, a mud club meeting this week uh, have anything scheduled coming up from that
0: well we have the club picnic starting uh, August 19th and what I will be doing is uh, putting a note out for the club members to say are they coming or not and who wants chicken or or um, oh,
1: gosh steak that's less than a month away yeah oh my goodness. Yep. we'll have
0: we'll have a meeting on that Tuesday uh. then the meeting uh, club event will be on that following Saturday, oh. and then we have the Flat Strip is coming up, that starts for a lot of people August 26th, and that'll probably run seven days for those who want to go for the full Monty, and that's uh, shipwreck diving, it'll be a great time, out up in Mackinac City area, then you've got Duncan Bay when the weather's bad, and then if it's really bad, we've got the river to do a lot of good grubbing in. And then after that, we have scheduled to do an ecology dive like we did last year. I believe that's September the 23rd on a Saturday in Niles, Michigan. And uh, we'll be starting that around noontime. That'll probably go four hours and we'll have the judging of the collection. So um, hopefully we'll have good weather. So you said, so that was, I think
1: that's in Niles again?
0: Yep, that's going to be in Niles again. We've already got. Uh, a gang box, not a gang box, but one of those big dumpsters set up. Oh, good. We're trying trying to get them to bring it closer to where we are so we don't have to travel as far with our wheelbarrows barrels of junk.
1: Maybe we can get them to get a little bit bigger one, even though I, I think we about filled it, didn't we?
0: Well, we did fill that, and uh, we took all the steel and stuff, and we're going to do that again. Otherwise, they'd have needed two dumpsters.
1: Yeah. Yeah, if we hadn't hauled out the recyclables, they would have really had that thing full. Yep.
0: I don't have any safety safety tips per se, but I did have an article I generated here <clears throat> excuse me, on dive equipment. And it, it's nothing that most of us did not already know, but for a lot of people who are newer to the sport, and that's mask. And uh, talking about your dive mask, when they're assembled in the factory, almost everything now is used with silicon. And silicon is used to lubricate the process resulting in the glass of your your mask, being left with a fine deposit. And when you have a new mask, the humidity from your face causes the inner glass surface to fog up. So everybody has different techniques for removal of this. And removing the silicone from the glass by rubbing it with some old-fashioned abrasive white toothpaste is done by a large majority of people. But you also have to be aware that some of that toothpaste out there is really abrasive. Yes, and then again you can also use liquid scrubs which are a little generally lighter to do that with and some of the techniques I've, I've heard about is using they, they burn the silicon film off with a flame of a cigarette lighter now you can do it if you're really careful I imagine but you do you know run the risk of damaging the silicon skirt yes. which you know that's expensive and then they also had a comment about um be aware that some aftermarket anti-fog agents contain formaldehyde, alcohol, and other substances that can damage the plastic materials used in your mask. So they said, if unsure of what you're using, avoid prolonged exposure of the anti-fog agent with the plastic parts of your mask. Now, if you spit, you're in good shape. If you want to use baby shampoo like I do, that doesn't affect it either because it washes out really good. But when we talk about what you do before the dive or during the dive, What do you do after the dive for your mask? And it's really recommended to soak it in warm fresh water and not over 120 degrees. And you want to dissolve the salt crystals. Now, fortunately around us, I don't have to worry about the salt water. But Sam there that's listening, he knows you have to do that. Your zippers and stuff, pain in the butt. So rinse thoroughly with fresh water, towel dry before you store it. Now, how do you store it? Like everything else, cool, dry, Protected place out of direct sunlight. And they say store separated from the other dive gears. The black pigmentation of other equipment may discolor the clear silicone skirt of your mask. And I will tell you, that's a factoid. You put your mask in with your fins or your or your, your um, gloves when mm-hmm. they're still wet, especially. You're going to notice you got a black covering around where you put it around your face. And then again, uh, watch out for chemicals and solvents. Avoid contact with alcohol, oil, gasoline, aerosols, and chemical solvents. Don't expose any part of, you know, any part to aerosol spray, because sometimes the propellants attack or degrade the rubber. Um, Watch out using the alcohol, solvent, petroleum-based substances. And uh, don't store your equipment near any of the gas, oil, other chemicals. Believe it or not, ozone can screw your stuff up, especially rubber products. So if you got a forklift truck and you're driving around and you've got your gear stored in an area that may be influenced by that, you might want to move it. So all, that's my table for the day.
1: Well, all very good tips. It's been such a long time since I've had a new dive mask. I had forgot about that needing to clean that
0: surface off. and and that doesn't count the little plastic a lot of times they have that new thin plastic they put over something to protect it that doesn't count (laughs) so now I have this pregnant pause again
1: yeah well I just got a text from our our buddy Kevin uh huh So I am just messaging him, seeing if want wanted on or not.
0: Well, I know some of the pictures he took up there of Standard Rock. Oh yes, S T A N N A R D S. So if anybody wants to look up what that is and where it was at, either go to the club site, look at his pictures, or. Look at it on the map. It's up there.
1: Yeah, it's beautiful, and I'm sure we'll have some coming up. We'll share. We're like that. Well, do you have anything you want to plug before we get off of this?
0: Oh uh, no, nothing tonight. Other than uh, if you're out there, dying, you got comments on what we can we can talk about, or if there's a subject you'd like us to talk about. Drop us a note. Uh, We'd like feedback from you of what you'd like to hear or hear us talk about. Don't be bashful. Plenty of things.
1: Yeah, it's, as we've done this, gosh, I can't remember how many years we've been doing this, but as it goes on, it's, sometimes it can be a challenge of finding things that maybe people want to listen or talk about. So drop us a line and, uh, I'm, I'm sure we can come up with something. If we don't know about it, somebody we know somebody who will.
0: And who and who will be more than happy to talk about it.
1: Yes. Bill, you got anything you want to
0: plug before we go?
1: No,
0: nope, just be kind to your local librarians. Uh, I, I just said that for time, but I do frequent libraries a lot, and they're extremely helpful. Uh, Do your courtesy if you're looking for your research, looking for not only shipwrecks, but if you're looking for places to metal detect, especially underwater. Librarians can be a wealth of information, especially for maps, local histories. that will give you the the lowdown on where you might want to be going. And we'd like to thank
1: all our Patreon supporters. Uh, those at the Dive Nitrox level give a shout out. So, Vanessa Homiak, thank you very much for supporting the show. And, uh, if you think this show's at least worth a dollar, or, uh, price of a cappuccino, uh, why not, uh, head onto our website, look for the Patreon link, and give us a little bit of a donation. Of course, after this next section, you may, you may not want to do that. So, you see, we're not really up on this whole earning money thing. So, are you ready? Ever ready. A woman bought a very limp duck into the vets. As she set her pet on the table, the vet pulled up the stethoscope, listened to the bird's chest. After a moment or two, the vet shook his head and said, I'm sorry, your duck cuddles, has passed away. The distressed woman had said, Are you sure? Yes, I'm sure your duck is dead, repeated the vet. How can you be so sure? She protested. I mean, you haven't done any testing on him, you or anything. He, he might just be in a coma or something. The vet rolled his eyes and turned around and left the room. He returned a few minutes later with a black Labrador retriever. As the deck's owner looked on in amazement, the dog stood in his hind legs, put his front paws on the examination table, sniffed the duck from top to bottom. He looked up at the vet with sad eyes and shook his head. The vet pulled, uh, patted the dog in the head and took him out of the room. A few minutes later, he returned with a cat. The cat jumped on the table and also Delicately sniffed the bird from head to foot. The cat sat back on its haunches, shook its head, meowed softly, and strolled out of the room. The vet looked at the woman and said, I'm sorry. But as I said, this is most certainly dead. 100% certifiable, a dead duck. The vet turned to the computer terminal, hit a few keys, and produced a bill, which he handed the woman. The duck's owner, still in shock, took the bill. $150, she cried. 150 just to tell me that my duck is dead? The vet shrugged and said, well, I'm sorry. If you just take my word for it, the bill would have only been twenty dollars. But with the lab report and the CAT scan, it's now up to one hundred and fifty.
0: So true, so true. See, <laughs> that's not a bad joke. That's a good joke because <laughs> it's not funny because it's true.
1: And so we have to thank Rod for that one. That was one he wanted me to save a little bit, but I thought that one had uh, uh, aged the, the proper amount. So thank you, Rod. I like
0: them. Thank you very much. I like that one, too.
1: <laughs> so on that note, until next time, go out there and get wet. And
0: stay safe. Completed. you've been doing a lot of work with the computer people i'll tell you that oh but been... the robot people
1: yeah oh th- that that event which we didn't talk about during the show but that was amazing that was an invitational so you had to apply for it and they only took the best teams so there were some teams there that are like legends and uh we did okay. The, that's the how you learn the, the that's luck, how you, the that's luck. How you
0: learn though, it gets the best.
1: Oh yeah. And luck wasn't really on our side. It was you know, and the, the thing we learned is that a lot of these really good teams have bad days and it seemed like they're having bad days every time they played on our side. So uh, but we were noticed and the one of the world champion teams uh, picked another world champion team and then they picked us, so we were on the number one-seeded alliance, and we almost won the whole thing. Got all the way to the final match and just couldn't quite pull it out. But, yeah, an excellent weekend.
0: Yeah. How about the uh, pictures? It looks like you guys were a little wet in your camping.
1: Oh, gosh. Well, he, he, here's the story. So this is a little bonus. Maybe we'll add this to the end of the end of the podcast. Uh, so this is down in Indianapolis. It's about a three-hour drive. And uh, so we, we drove a- – you know, we, we drove left a little bit after one, and it rained a little bit on the way down. Nothing too crazy, but you know, a couple uh, downpours. And uh, we got down to the gym where they have this event going on. And just after we got in, then the skies just opened up and it rained. Uh, and this was uh, Lawrence North, I think, was the, the high school we were at. Their football field, which has artificial turf, it rained so hard the turf was floating. Now that's pretty freaking hard. The kids, there were kids out there playing on it, running around. So it was kind of like running across the top of a waterbed. So we, we get done with this and we head to the campground. This is one of the few campgrounds in the Indianapolis area. Uh, and we check in at the office and they go, Oh, we were just about ready to close down and uh, we had tried uh, to call and tell you what the after hours check in is. I'm like, oh, okay. And, and they, they gave us our sights and we had one RV and, uh, another tent site. And, you know, we said, is, is, you know, are, are the sites okay? And she goes, oh, well, they're, they were a little wet, but they're, they're dry now. They'll be perfectly fine. <laughs> so we, we drive over there and by this point, we're about 30 minutes before it gets dark. So just enough time to, to set everything up. Uh, the RV site, which they've obviously realized that flooding is a problem because they've got concrete pads and tons of gravel and everything. The tent site, through the mill of the tent site, they've got three fire hoses connected to pumps that are pumping the water out. The, the tent site is technically underwater. I guess if you count a blade of grass peeking above the water surface as dry, then yeah, maybe we were dry. So then we head back up to the to the office and say, "Yeah, it's it's a little wetter than you led us to believe," and they they gave us permission to have everybody camp on the RV site.
0: As well, they should have. Yes, I looked at the pictures. It's like, excuse me, <laughs> yes. I need a flotation device. To put my tent on. Yeah. Well, then at one point,
1: you know, because they're like, oh, well, there's all these other things you can do. Well, the camp was sold out for the weekend, and we were there on a Thursday. And they said, you can try this other site. But we would had to break the tent down. You know, we were leaving like at 6 in the morning to go to the competition. There is no way we're going to be able to get the tent set up and then broken down. Well, they did finally find a site that uh, wasn't didn't need to be done the next day. So I said, oh, okay, we'll take a look at that. I went looking at that site. Somebody had driven a pickup through it, and there are these big divots of of uh, turf that had been missing. So this was not really a site so much as a parking lot, and it had standing water on on it as well as just as in little puddles. So I'm like, no, this is not going to work. So we just camped on the other site, and you couldn't. We had we probably covered every inch of ground in that RV site between tents and vehicles. I'm glad they didn't. They didn't have my uh, credit card number because I know somebody is going to be trying to charge us for the ruts. Because there was, I mean, vehicles are getting stuck three or four inches in the ground. They just turned on the four wheel drive and just slowly crept out of it, but it was a mess.
0: Well, next time, just drive down there in a duck. You know what a duck is? Yes.
1: Yeah, a little. And
0: that put a canvas thing over the top, and you guys just stay in the duck overnight. Yeah. Yeah, certainly plenty wet.